Exchange Bible Study Day 363 and 364, and we are starting in 2 Chronicles, chapters 34 and 35. Well, this is all pretty similar to what we read in Kings, right? We see Josiah's reign. He's eight years old when he begins to reign. He reigns for 31 years. He walks in the way of the Lord. Uh, he's a very good king for most of his kingship, one of the best. And um, he... You know that he decides to to cleanse the land of all the Baals and Asherim. He decides to cleanse the temple, and as they're cleaning the temple, they find a book of the law. Apparently, they hadn't had a book of the law in a long time, right? Which that's how are they supposed to abide by the law when you don't know what the law is, right? So they find it and uh, they bring it to the king, and Josiah says, "This is awful. We haven't been doing this." We'll seek the Lord. What should we do to repent from this? And they seek this prophetess named Hulda. And she says, yeah, judgment is upon these people. However, since you humbled yourself before me, you will not see this judgment. Right? And uh, so the, the king leads the people in a godly way for the rest of his life. And in chapter 35, we see that he has a great Passover. And apparently the Passover hadn't been kept in, in such a, a way that honors the Lord since the days of Samuel. None of the kings had kept the Passover uh, like Josiah had. It doesn't give us a whole lot of detail because I feel like... Didn't Solomon do? I don't know. Um... Yeah, I don't know to what degree the other kings did or did not do Passover, but it tells us very clearly that no one since Samuel had kept the Passover so well. And uh, and so, you know, again, that's a picture that this people of God, who represent God, who he brought incredible prosperity to, mm-hmm. were still not living in the way that he had prescribed for them. Mm-hmm. Right? And so he had to bring down judgment on this people because he has a purpose and a plan for all of mankind and all of creation that must be fulfilled through a people. And if the people do not fully represent who he is and what his way of life is meant to be, then it must be brought down so that a new remnant people can rise up who are willing to walk in all of his ways. Do you see that? Okay. Um, and in the end of life, Josiah, as many before him, is prideful in who he is, right? King of Egypt is going to war against somebody else, and he just decides, hey, I want to be in that war. God didn't send him to be in that battle, but he decided, I'm, I'm a man of God. I'm blessed. I'm going to go in this battle, Right? And he steps out of the good grace of God, and he dies. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Those, hopefully you're catching that those are important lessons for us in life, right? As a people and as individuals. Next we look at Revelation chapter 20 and 21. And I, I can see from my highlights that last time we went through this, I commented on most of it. Um, we, we see a thousand-year reign, Right? the uh the dragon is th- is locked up for a thousand years 
And so it, it reads like this is a literal thing. So I'm going to assume it's a literal thing. It's possible it's uh, metaphorical. But in this case, there, the, the, and I think I remember talking about this last time, because I find this kind of interesting, that the, it, it's almost like, if I'm reading this right, and my understanding is correct, and I'm not certain that it is, um, the, he kind of gives all the people of the earth the same chance Adam and Eve had, where this, where Satan is not um, so prevalent, right? He's not Lord yet, right? He's locked up. And, um, but that doesn't say that people still aren't tempted by their own flesh, just as Adam and Eve were, right? And, and so, you know, we have a thousand year time period for, for people to clearly make their own choice, right? And then we see, uh, we see those who are, who had lived for the Lord. And then again, we can read this two different ways. Uh, those who live for the Lord, they don't have the, the mark of the beast on their hands or their forehead, right? The way they think, the way they are, the way they do. Like they live for the Lord and his ways. We see them come to life. So we can read that one of two ways. We can see that the alive people that are living for the Lord are actually coming into the fullness of the life of God. Truly alive. Right? Mm-hmm. That's very scriptural understanding. Um, but we can also see those who have gone before, who are dead today, coming to you know a physical life and that spiritual life. Um, and so this is the first resurrection, right? And they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Um, but then Satan is, is let go from the prison and he comes to cause havoc in the world again, right? And so he gets a bunch of people going his ways. They haven't, they haven't chosen to give their life to the Lord, even though they don't have Satan ruling that confusion, still their own flesh is... It's too strong for them. They want to go their own way. And when Satan offers the chance to be their leader again, they say, yeah, we, we're in rebellion to God and his way, so we want to be with you. And so we have that. And then there's just, you know, terrible judgment, right? Um, and, you know, we got fire from heaven and all that. Okay, chapter 21. And then he sees a new heaven and a new earth, right? We see the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So the city, he says it very clearly here, right in the first, second verse. The city is the bride, right? Mm-hmm. We know this because it's said many times, the city is the people of God, the temple is the people of God, the bride is the people of God. But it's, he says it very clearly, so we can't be confused by that. This is the people of God. So he goes on and on about this incredible city throughout this chapter. But he says, right at the beginning, this is the bride, right? This is the people of God that he's describing, even though he describes it like he's describing a building, right? Three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This has always been God's promise when he lays before them his covenant promise with his people. 
as he's done many, many times throughout history. He says, look, walk in my ways. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless you. Mm -hmm. Right? And you will show the world who I am. Well, we see he never changed his mind. The same promise he made to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Moses and Joshua, to David and Solomon. The same promise again and again and again he made. It's here at the end. Right? Uh, he will wipe away every tear. Um, he's making all things new. Verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So now it's a little bit more personal, right? He's talking uh, first about a people, but now he's specifically talking to us as individuals. He's like, look, if you overcome the ways of this world, I will give you springs of living water. It's exactly what Jesus said, right? Jesus came to Jerusalem on the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. The holiday that celebrates God with us, right? Mm -hmm. The one that celebrates God with them in the wilderness, took care of every need. He was their God. They were his people. The, the fall festivals, the major holidays God set up through Moses that have not yet been fulfilled. It's this picture of God with us, springs of living waters. During that holiday that Jesus preached about that. Come to me, all who are thirsty. I will give you springs of living water, rivers of living water, which we're going to see in the next chapter also. And he says, and, and then if you're in me, you come to me and you're filled with this, they will flow out of you too, mm -hmm. right? And he says, to the one who conquers, you will have this heritage. This will be your inheritance. That you come into this life and God will be your father. And you will be his son. All right? Okay, we see, think, uh, we, we have, you know, let's see. Then came, this in verse 9, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Uh, again, we have this Mount Zion picture, right? And he, again, he goes in great lengths to describe it. Verse 22 to the end here. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So the glory of God so fills his people. It's overwhelming any physical reality in this world. Sun or moon. Sun and moon are really important when we're walking around outside, right? Mm -hmm. When we're in this earth, we need that light of the sun and the moon. Yeah? Mm -hmm. But the glory of God filling us is so much bigger, more powerful, more real than any physical reality that God has created. Mm -hmm. There's no need for such things, right? And its lamp is the Lamb. 24. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So now we see a world coming in and learning the ways of God, honoring God through his people. 
right? His order of Melchizedek, priests and kings. The kings of the world are coming and honoring, bringing their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So there's a clear distinction between what is holy and what is profane. Mm -hmm. Right? And there's no mixture. Mm -hmm. That way, God's glory can be known to all of creation, which Mm -hmm. his his plan for mankind and always has been. Mm-hmm. See that? Then we move to Malachi. We're doing the first three chapters. And it starts out, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau, sorry, how have you loved us? And then the answer, is not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to to jackals of the desert. So we know Esau was a man of the flesh, right? He sold his spiritual birthright for a bowl of soup. He, He wanted things of the flesh. He was not excited about things of the spirit, right? Jacob though he had many faults, was hungry for the promises of God, was hungry for the things of God, right? Esau was the son of Abraham, right? Mm -hmm. He's born into a family with incredible promise. But he was not so interested in that promise. Did did he worship God? Yes, right? Mm -hmm. Was he born into a special family of God? Yes. But did he honor God with his heart? Did he fear God in all he did? Or did he just think, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed, I'm taken care of, I'm going to go about with my worldly life, right? Mm-hmm. Jacob, on the other hand, although, you know, when the, you read the stories, Jacob seems less honorable in the ways we might consider it than Esau. But the one distinction between them is he loved God. He feared God. He was hungry for the things of God. And so God says, Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's that kind of sets the tone. He's going to go in a, a lot of different specific points. But, but the tone is set for the entire writing of a man who seeks after God and a man who seeks after his own ways, the flesh and the world. Right? And then he goes to talk about priests. Verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. So they weren't offering their best, right? They might offer a blind animal because well, they didn't want to keep having the blind animal reproduce in their in their flock, right? Well, they'll offer that one to God because then, you know, they'll keep the best ones for themselves. God's saying, look, if you trust me, I will bless you. 
and they know this. This is this is written, right? Mm-hmm. But do they really believe it? Do we really believe in God that He will take care of us if we offer Him our best? Or do we say that we believe it, but then go about our lives in such a way that we really believe the world and our own efforts in the world? Mm-hmm. Right? You see the difference he's calling out? Okay, let's see. Verse 9. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord. Okay, that's kind of the same point. 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Well, we just read about this in Revelation, right? He said, I will be glorified in all the world. He's saying that again through Malachi here. 14. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So he's saying the same thing. He was specifically calling out the priest previously, and now I think he's kind of talking about anyone. But again, it comes down to, are we holding back from God? Because we don't really trust him with our life? Are we fully believing God is Lord and he will take care of us if we give him everything? Mm-hmm. Right? Malachi 2, verse 2, uh, he's again saying to the priests, If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. So again, he says, this is important. This is crucial. I have a purpose for mankind. If you're supposed to be representing me to the people, but you you hold back from me, you and those, you know, he goes on to talk about your offspring. He said, you and your family line are cursed because you... You're, you're holding an honored position, but you're not representing me. So it confuses the people because they don't see me through you. If you were to be a priest of mine, you were to represent me, right? Five, my covenant with him was one of life. So he's talking about Levi, right? So about how, and this is interesting because we don't really get this in Genesis, you know, it doesn't tell us that much about Levi, specifically as, as a man. So this is an interesting description of him. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. It's kind of cool, because since we don't know a ton about Levi as a man, we, we, we're getting to see kind of his heart. And even though he wasn't... Did Levi walk around as a God-ordained priest? We're not told that in, in, uh, in Genesis, right? Levi became, as far as we know, in Genesis. Levi became the uh, family that served God through Moses, who was like a grandson, great-grandson of Levi. And then Moses established his brother Aaron, obviously God did all this, Moses was the messenger, as 
the high priest, and they're both Levites. But up until then, we, we're not told of this, right? Levi was just one of the brothers in, in the time of Levi, as far as what we're told in Genesis. But here we're getting a, a description of who the man was in his heart and why God honored his family. Uh, he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. Well, that's peace and righteousness. These are hallmarks of the kingdom of God, right? And he turned many from iniquity. He turned people towards the way of God. Seven, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. It says a true priest should be about this, right? Guarding the knowledge of God and people should seek instruction from his name. He's the Lord's messenger, right? Eight, but you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. So he says, anybody that sets himself up as a priest, which today we use the word pastor more often, whatever, as someone representing God, that's a priest, right? Anyone who sets himself up representing God, but shows partiality to the ways of the world, to his own understanding, and not the ways of God, he says, I will bring down judgment upon that, right? And he goes on to talk about how how the nation of Judah has corrupted his ways. 14. But you say, why does he not? Okay, what was he specifically talking about here? Um, oh, so they're weeping before the Lord, crying out to the Lord. But the Lord's no longer regarding their offerings, right? He's, he's not blessing them just because they're weeping to him. And they say, why? This is really important because this is the difference between religion and living out God's life. He's not looking for a bunch of religious people, mm-hmm. right? We got a whole lot of religious people today. And the world looks at them and says, wow, you're really religious, pretty hypocritical. I'm not interested in your way. And God says, that's not who is supposed to represent me. Right? Mm-hmm. I need a holy, purified people to represent me. So here, same thing. He says, 14, But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the... One God seeking. So let's break there. No, divorce is a huge issue today, right? Um, God here is saying through Malachi, and the, the people were still, even after Malachi said this, in the time of Jesus, that they were trying to stump Jesus over the, I can't remember, was it Pharisees, scribes, um, Sadducees, I don't remember, lawyers, same thing, scribes. Um, they were trying to stump Jesus upon whether or not you can get married, right? Mm-hmm. And Jesus said... Uh, divorced? Sorry. <laughs> whether you can get divorced. I think he's okay with marriage. Um, he, and he said, look, yeah. It was the 
out for divorce was put in the law of Moses because God knows your hard hearts that you'd rather go your own way. So he left it out there. But you're not walking in the way of God. Now I say all this, I don't know who's listening. I know there's listeners that I don't know personally. Um, and God can redeem and God does redeem many for all things. So my my own personal background, uh, I'm often horrified by it. But God has redeemed me and made me new, right? So whatever your background, if you are divorced, God can make you new from here. I'm talking about those who are walking in the way of the Lord. But then, or or at least maybe if you're walking the way of the Lord, you're not going to get divorced, mm-hmm. right? You're Unless somehow you come to the Lord and your spouse is just completely against it and, and then the friction develops that, you know, there could be a case there. But, you know, your mommy and I met because we are, we're hungry for the Lord. And although there's been many struggles and difficulties, because there always is when two different lives come together, first and foremost, we want to honor the Lord, right? And so we work everything out because we love Him and we love each other, right? And, and over time, that's easier and easier, Um. But what's so important, me and me getting my way about whatever, or submitting my life to the Lord, which also includes submitting my life to the fact that I'm married and making made a covenant with your mommy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he says, look, you're, you know, he's upset with them for getting divorced and thinking that's just no way. They're just going to go their own way. Um, did he, 15, did he not make them one? Right? Well, that's what Jesus said. What God has made one, let no man separate. Mm -hmm. Right? Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? Even Malachi understood this, or God spoke it through him. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Oh, so there's a deeper purpose for this. God wants a family on earth. Now, we have spiritual family that's not blood-related, but absolutely, when we have a natural family, he absolutely intends that God's ways are taught from parents to children. And they grow up to be parents and to their children. And so the way of God is spreading, just as he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, right? And so that's the very beginning of the Old Testament. This is the very end of the Old Testament, right? It's the same message. That God has a people in the world and his ways are taught and propagated and and multiplying, right? Let's see. I don't know where I was. And what was the one seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. So I don't, I'm not reading this right. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. The, a lot of people in the world say today, a lot of a lot of divorces are ugly, but a lot of people, oh, we're so 
doing, doing, it's so lovely. We're still get along. We're friends. God says it's violent. It is violence. Right? Um, 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Let's go upstairs, mister. So his main point in this paragraph is that people go around saying, everyone who does evil is good. We see a lot of that in the world today. A lot of... Is good, not evil. Well, that's true, but also people's things that are blatantly sin that God has made super clear as sin in the Bible, people saying, oh, well, those were different times, or, you know, things have evolved. And no, this is good. This is a good thing. Well, Malachi is speaking here about, and I mean, he was speaking about in his current time, but, he's, but this is very much a prophetic end times book, right? So again, last book that ends the Old Testament. This is the last word hanging in the air before Jesus came. Mm -hmm. And he talks about people saying this evil is actually good. When God said it was evil, there's a lot of this going on right now. And he says, <laughs> I will not stand for this, right? Okay. Chapter three, behold. And again, this just flows right in, right? There's no chapters the way these things were originally written. This is just the next word he says. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So we just read about this in Revelation, right? The Lord coming into his people in great power, right? The true life in his people, right? True eternal life in his people. Um, let's see. But who can endure? Okay, that's wonderful. We all want that. We all want the fullness of God in us, right? But he says, <laughs> too, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? He says, you think this is some small thing? With who you are right now in the flesh, who you're being, can you endure it? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. So again, I know we talk about it many times, but how are silver and gold purified? They're burned and melted down, right? And then they take out the the impurities, the dross, and what's left is more pure, right? It's a higher purity, gold or silver. And then what? They do it again, right? And they do it again. The more times you do it, the more pure the gold or silver gets. And do you think this feels, if, if gold and silver had feelings, do you think it feels good to get burned and melted down? Mm -mm. Probably not, right? So God takes us, you know, the New Testament talks about baptism of fire. Everyone likes to talk about baptism of water and baptism of spirit. Not a lot of people like to talk about the baptism of fire. But it's crucial to being made, to, to being made God-like. 
right? He wants us to be like him. He must transform us through the discipline. God disciplines us as a father disciplines his son. Hebrew says a couple times, 2 and 10. Um, so he transforms us through this process, right? So who can stand? The one who endures and continues to seek him even through the process. It does not turn away, but continues on. And as we grow and go through this process, we become to understand, oh, he's just refining me. He's just purifying me. We stop to even think of it as painful necessarily because this is the Lord. This is good. I'm being refined from something that should not be in me, right? But no one considers this discipline as pleasant at the time. But after a while, we realize it was for our good, right? But again, I, even I would say, that's not to say I won't get more discipline in the future. That, <laughs> that I, that I don't know. But I, I do kind of think I'm to the point where when I receive these things now, I think I, I receive them fully as good, even when they're not pleasant. But who knows, maybe something will come that really rocks my world and well, if one of y'all died, like, for instance, that would rock my world. Um, so I, I'm not above, um, I'm not above being totally shocked in the flesh. But I have been through this process so many times that um, I can receive it and, and, and see with eyes like, okay, Lord, what are you doing through this? Whatever I'm experiencing in the natural is nothing as compared to what you're doing in the eternal. Right? Okay, let's move on. Five. Then I will draw near to you. So he's refined a purified people, a priestly people, right? Sons of Levi. Remember, he established what a priest should look like. We, The Bible, through um, Psalm 110 and through the book of Hebrews, talks about the order of Melchizedek, the end-time priests and kings. Well, here was the former priesthood, like the sons of Levi, right? He's saying, what should my, my end-time priests really look like? They will be purified, right? Um, they, will, they will offer wonderful offerings. What are our offerings? It's our lives, right? Five, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So he says, I will separate and judge those who are not mine. Right? Ten, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. So this whole section's of about like tithing. Again, it's just the same thing as the animals. Do we trust the Lord? Or do we come up with reasons why we shouldn't do what he's told us? Because we need this to make our own way. Do we fully trust him? And I just point this out because this is the only time God says, really, put me to the test, right? I will bless you in your ways if you trust in me. He's not a hard God who is unsympathetic to what we deal with. In fact, he sent Jesus to experience everything we deal with as a man, right? So that he can 
make a proper uh, consolation before the Father. He knows everything we're going through. And he is absolutely willing to help us every step of the way. He simply wants our heart to seek him and be willing. Right? 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasure possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So again, very similar to Revelation. He says, look, these are my people. They have chosen to learn of my ways and I will bless them. And judgment will become will come on those who have not chosen my ways, right? There will be a clear distinction. There will be no more a people of mixture saying they represent me. It will be a people purified in my ways and blessed in all ways. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. And we're wrapping up in Psalms 148 and 149. And in 148, he's praising the Lord. I, I just thought there's a couple things in both Psalms that were similar to what we're talking about. So I highlighted them. Verse 11, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all the rulers. So then he moves on to 13 to, to what he's talking about. Because the next verse is about young men, women, old and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints. For the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. So we see the same picture, right? We see all the world becoming aware that he is God and this is the way. And he's blessed his people. And in Psalm 149... Verse 6 says, Let the high praise of God be in their throats, the two-edged swords in their hands, to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. So again, we see this distinction uh, between those with God and those against God's ways, God and his ways. In verse 4 and 5 says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. So he blesses his people, right? The people that choose him are a part of God's plan for eternity. And he blesses them. All right, that's all I have. you have anything else? No, God bless you. God bless you.